Section 29 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13. The Sack of Rome, Part 2. Clement VII had taken an active part in the formation of the League against France, but he felt that as Pope he should display at least some appearance of impartiality. He could not declare himself as openly as he had when Cardinal. The war continued in Lombardy, but fortune began to abandon the French. Milan was held by Prospero Colonna in the name of the Emperor, but was closely invested by the French, who occupied the territories of Legnano, Monza, Cassano, and Melignano. The last-mentioned place was held by the Chevalier Bayard, the hero of French romance, the knight without fear and without reproach. He captured Lodi and went on to attack Cremona, but failed in the attempt and had to return to Monza. Colonna, now over eighty years of age, died on December 28, 1523, and was succeeded first by Lanois, who was summoned hastily from Naples, and then by the constable Bourbon, who was made lieutenant-governor of Lombardy. As a Frenchman taking service under a German emperor, he may be regarded as the last of the condottieri. In the beginning of the next year the French again suffered defeats. Bayard was beaten at Robeco on January 25, 1525. The castle of Cremona was taken, the Allies passed the Ticino on March the 2nd, and Bonnevet, the French commander, retired to Novara. Defeats again followed on the Sesia, and Bayard was taken prisoner at Ravizingo after receiving a wound which caused his death in a short time. The French army existed no longer. A few scattered and demoralized bands of troops re-entered France, more or less protected from insult by the Swiss. Lodi, Pescara, and Novara fell. Pope Clement was by no means unfeignedly pleased with this result. He did not need the emperor to obtain a permanent footing in Italy. Therefore he opened up negotiations with France and tried to detach Venice from the League. Nicholas Schomberg, Archbishop of Capua, was dispatched as legate to France, Italy, and Germany to endeavor to conclude a truce. This, however, had no effect, and on May 25th, Henry VIII and Charles V renewed their ancient league, engaging themselves to invade France from different sides. Bourbon was base enough to invade his own country, and had been induced by the English ambassador Richard Pace, who visited him at Montcalieri, to take an oath of allegiance to the emperor. As he marched along the shores of the Mediterranean, town after town fell before him, and he at last undertook the siege of Marseilles. Francis, having to avenge the disgrace of his arms, collected a force of forty thousand men and marched in person at its head. He crossed the Alps and descended into the Lombard plain, found Milan in a defenceless state, the garrison having been withdrawn into the neighboring towns. On October 26th, 1524, the French entered the long-contested capital in triumph, and immediately began to lay siege to Pavia. By this unexpected change of fortune, Clement the Seventh found himself in the greatest difficulty. 
he naturally wished to preserve the integrity of the papal dominions and of florence and he may be credited with some desire to restore peace to italy when charles had conquered he had negotiated with him and he now entered into overtures with france venice also began to seek the protection of france which some time before she had so basely deserted it is difficult to forecast the ultimate object of negotiations which were never brought to a conclusion but it is probable that clement wished that milan should remain in the hands of the emperor and that francis should have possession of naples he therefore granted a passage through his dominions to john stuart duke of albany who was sent by francis into the south of italy and excused himself to lanois the viceroy on the ground that he was obliged to bow to circumstances he afterwards made a league with the french king under the condition that parma and piacenza should pass to the holy see florence should remain untouched the church should be supported and that a war against the turks should be begun charles v when he heard of this was beside himself with anger he declared that he would come to italy in person to revenge himself upon his enemies and that he would make venice ferrara and the pope pay dearly for their duplicity it was no time now he said to speak of luther the french army was still engaged in the siege of pavia but the king idled away his time in the park of mirabello and left the whole conduct of military affairs to bonnivet fortune at this time smiled upon the french at sea Varagine lago di moncara the admiral of the imperial fleet was conquered and taken prisoner by andrea doria but this did not prevent a serious disaster on land the duty of francis was obviously to raise the siege of pavia and to meet the imperial army before it should receive reinforcements this course of action was pressed upon the king by la pelise la tremouille and thomas de foix but he continued to confide in bonnivet lodi was still in the possession of the imperial troops they marched out of the town on january twenty fifth fifteen twenty five passed over the fatal field of marignano and approached pavia to attack the besieging army for some weeks the armies lay in the presence of each other the time being occupied by skirmishes which generally ended to the disadvantage of the french at length on february twenty fourth fifteen twenty five the decisive battle of pavia was fought it was very hardly contested as both sides knew the possession of italy was at stake the king thought that he had won the day by the prowess of his splendid cavalry but the result was changed by the steadiness of the spanish arquebusier the bravest nobles on the side of france had fallen the king himself was wounded when francis saw that the battle was lost he attempted to fly but he was conspicuous from the splendour of his attire his surcoat of silver his white plume had been noticeable in the thickest of the struggle he was borne down by force of numbers and compelled to surrender himself prisoner he refused to give up his sword to the traitor bourbon he said i know no other duke of bourbon but myself he would only submit himself to lanois the appointed viceroy of charles v he was in a terrible condition bleeding so as scarcely to be recognized his plume his girdle 
his order of St. Michael, his silver coat of mail had been stripped off him by the soldiers, as they said, for keepsakes. Bourbon and the rest of the victorious generals could scarcely refrain from tears. It was indeed a remarkable scene, only paralleled by that other tragedy of our own days, when the emperor of the French surrendered his sword to the future emperor of Germany. The French army was entirely destroyed. Out of 36,000 men, 12,000 lay dead on the field. The chief among the French nobles were taken prisoner. Thomas de Foix, Montmorency, and the King of Navarre. From Pavia, couriers hastened to Spain, Germany, England, and Rome. Francis, in sending the news to his mother, the Duchess of Angoulême, said, All is lost except life and honor. When Charles V heard in Madrid that the King of France was his prisoner, he grew pale. He was overcome by the greatness of his good fortune. He allowed no extravagant signs of rejoicing, but sought for help in prayer, and looked forward to a European crusade against the Turks. Clement VII received the news with dismay. He could scarcely believe it. The Colonna and the Spanish party were triumphant. The Pope felt himself in much the same position as that in which Julius II had been after the Battle of Ravenna. The imperialists were eager to march immediately upon Rome, but Lanois thought it better policy to make terms with Clement and to force money out of him. Florence had to pay a hundred thousand florins, and a large sum was demanded from Venice. Charles had a dread that Francis might be taken to Naples, but the king persuaded Lanois to conduct him to Genoa instead, as being better for his health. From this port he would be removed by sea to Spain, and it is possible that he expected to be rescued by the fleet of Andrea Doria. He landed at Palamos in June 17th, and then proceeded to Barcelona. Charles gave orders that he should be confined in the castle of Madrid, where he arrived on August 17th. The Battle of Pavia had brought Europe into a serious crisis. France lay exhausted, England threatened her with invasion, the Emperor conceived plans of attacking Lyon and Avignon, Germany was overthrown by the Reformation and by the risings of the peasants, the papacy was tottering to its fall. It was natural that Clement should favor the formation of a league against this preponderance of strength, his object being to unite the powers of Italy, Venice, Florence, and Milan under the protection of England. Relations between England and Charles had become strained, because the King of England would not consent to the emperors occupying a portion of France. Wolsey had not forgiven Charles for cheating him, as he believed, out of the papacy. He listened to the proposals for forming a league for the defence and liberties of Italy, the projected alliance was to include England, France, Italy, Scotland, Portugal, Hungary, Navarre, Lorraine, Hilders, and Switzerland. At the same time, a very obscure conspiracy was begun by Morone, the secretary of Francesco Sforza. Even after the publication of numerous documents, the whole matter remains in the greatest uncertainty. It appears that Morone invited Pescara, the conqueror of Pavia, to commit a great act of treason, to betray Charles, restore the dukedom of Milan to the Sforzas, and to receive the kingdom of Naples as his reward. It is not certain how either Morone or Pescara was guilty in this arrangement. 
it is certain that they both betrayed each other to the emperor pescara listened to the suggestions of morone but said that nothing could be done without the adhesion of venice and the pope he then invited morone to a conference and had him arrested pescara died shortly afterwards on december third and by his last testament ordered that morone should be set at liberty perhaps being afraid of the revelations which he might make his successor the marchese del vasto did not dare to assume the responsibility of executing his wishes pescara at his death was only thirty-six years of age he left behind him the greatest reputation as a general his widow vittoria colonna devoted her poetical powers to the celebration of his virtues End of section twenty nine